We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Usually it's the dynamic duo, but now we have the terrific trio in the building. CFB Nation, no one covers college football better. It is the Lucky Lefty Podcast, and we have our guy John Garcia Jr. with us tonight to talk about National Signing Day. It's our National Signing Day preview. Gentlemen, how are you all doing this morning? I mean, this this evening, shall I say? It feels like morning, right? I know. We've been at this. We've been at this uh, a long time, uh, so it's it's fun. But uh, I'm doing well. Just excited. A lot of drama already, and obviously, we all know more more on the way. Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully, you know, we've been we've been on the long road of recruiting the 23 class. Been a lot of ups and downs, but I just want to be able to finish top three. I think that'll say a lot. You know, we ain't gotta be number one. You know, we lost a couple guys that it would have made it unfair. If we got Keon, if we got David Swain, if we got all these guys, at uh, Dylan Edwards, it'll be unfair for college football if we got all those recruits. So I'm hopefully when you shake it out and it all falls to the bottom, not too many good recruits fall out. So you're saying we're being fair to the rest of college football, Malik? Is that, is that the narrative you're going they with? Know we don't got no NIL bag we throwing around and, you know, college football is, is hysteria because they're like, how are you pulling all these top recruits with no, with no NIL bag? What y'all doing over there? So you know, I think it uh, the cream rises to the uh, to the top, and I think Marcus Freeman has put a class that the best in the class are gonna hold the class together. Who wanna stay on the ship gonna stay, and if not, you're gonna be sad that you didn't. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know what? Let's take a step back before we dig deep into some of the flips that's going on that are going on in the 23 and 24 classes and talk about the impact of those, especially some at the court. The quarterback position has been incredible over the last month, really the way things has gone. But Malik, let's start where you kind of set us up with. You threw us the oop. Notre Dame possibly having a top three class when Marcus Freeman took the job. Was that a dream? When he took the job, like just thinking about it, if someone had told you Notre Dame would be on the cusp of signing the top three class when he was standing there taking the job last December, what would have been your thoughts, John? I think that uh, you could kind of tell the way the team reacted to when he got chose as the head coach. You would have thought Marcus Freeman won the game when he came in there and said, I, I got the job. Everybody was excited. So, you know, he had the players on his side, which is something that's rare. When you got the locker room on your side, you was the intern. Just imagine the things you can do when you're actually recruiting players as the head coach, which, you know, he's done a great job. So top three was an expectation for the type of excitement that was around Marcus Freeman during the hire. But, you know, I think for him to close it out just, just shows he's really about – what he's been setting up as a vision for the program in Notre Dame. Yeah, ditto. Uh, this was, you know, going going into this year in particular, all that turnover we saw in the carousel, um, NIL, portal, everything kind of coming up together at this point. I think if you would have told Notre Dame fans, you've got a shot at a top three class, they'd have signed on the dotted line at that moment. Um, but, yeah, if you have, if you have a bro- broader vision – uh, for what Notre Dame could be and or should be combined with like, like Malik said, when, I mean, you can't, you can't teach fake or stage the reaction that Freeman got when he got the job or when, when the kids knew he got the job. Uh, so I, I think that has just oozed out onto the recruiting trail. And even, even with plenty of ups and downs, this is going to be a really strong and balanced group full of, uh, Difference makers, um, you know, a wide variety of, of regional backgrounds, athletic backgrounds, athletic profiles. Importantly, this is going to be a group that that helps ND bounce back in his first full class at that point goes as expected, because that's really where I was looking to see something different from Notre Dame. Right. It wasn't necessarily in the trenches. It wasn't necessarily in bringing in great players. It was those difference makers, those those margin guys, uh, you know, a Jaden Greathouse, right? those type of players that in any other cycle, they're not going to Notre Dame. They're just not. You know, can you win those? Can you make me say, oh, they went there and got him? And Notre Dame made me say that time and time again in this cycle. You know what? Give me three prospects that are in the 23 class for Notre Dame, John, that you felt like there's no way I saw this kid going to Notre Dame this time last year? 
Well, I think that, you know, the, the two players in the Austin area, obviously, you know, James and, and great house, uh, especially relative to their position, right? Th that those are some of the problem areas uh, or, or areas where you didn't have as much depth at Notre Dame. You've had flashes of great receivers, individual athletic prowess, but not collectively. So getting those two, and I think they were pretty close to each other when they, um, when they committed just in, in time, I thought those were huge. Um, Braylon James, I remember covering, I think as a sophomore, and one of my guys from IMG actually went out to, to Austin to coach him, and he was like, man, he's going to be tough to, to get away from Ohio State. I mean, that was the whole conversation surrounding him. And I wasn't as familiar with Great House initially in the recruiting process, but an Austin-Westlake kid, if it ain't Texas, it's Oklahoma. If it ain't them, it's USC, right? It, it's like there's a cycle before you get to perceptionally Notre Dame. Uh, so I thought those two in particular were really strong gets, uh, just uh, just unbelievable gets um, relative to the timing and the position in particular, because that's where we want to see Notre Dame kind of just mm, take that next that next uh, that next small step. Uh, both you guys, man, what was the biggest challenge? Do you think to Marcus Freeman? in this staff in this cycle in 2023. The staff was put together pretty late in comparison to the big teams they were facing and going up against in most battles. So what was the biggest thing you felt like this staff and Marcus Freeman had to overcome to be able to be on the cusp of a top three class? Well, I thought off rip what it, what it would take would be uh, them being able to convince what they want to show and want to bring as a vision to the program. Getting somebody to buy something you haven't been able to put on the field as a product is not easy to do. And so it takes a lot of convincing. It takes a lot of doing the right things around uh, the, the small details and taking care of those things the right way around the big issues of, of actually putting the product on the field, like recruiting, like setting up the, the way practices have been to make them more competitive, like being able to get more two-way players, like being able to get a staff that can, can give you the technique to make guys a lot better and develop players the right way and, and convincing those players that I got the coaches for you to take you to the next level. All the little details that, that encompasses a head coach, Marcus Freeman, here full speed. So the adjustment of just convincing the team that they're the real deal without going through any games yet, I think is the toughest challenge, but they, they were able to – overcome that early in spring, had everybody on board going into fall camp. And, uh, you know, we started slow, but we ended up finishing how we probably wanted to. Yeah, that's that's a really nice point. I, I think it was the maintenance of the class throughout all those ups and downs, because like you said, the staff was built at a bit of a slower pace. There was a lot more, it seemed like, hurdles to jump through on the front end. So holding on to that that bulk of commitments I thought was a big deal through a transition. We just don't see it, right? We typically in this business, even if it's a promotion, you see one coach to the next and you're like, okay, how much of the class is gone? Um, that's like the first thought always. But even, you know, at that moment you said, well, maybe if he's different, if this is a, a turning point for Notre Dame, then maybe the class won't bolt at least immediately. They'll give him a chance. And then right after that chance, as the season begins, not so great. So the initial maintenance and then the secondary maintenance of kind of uh, battling that on-field perception where, where they, they struggled early on in the season, holding on despite all that, to me was, was fascinating because it could have easily come off the rails 
and and those kids could have ended up everywhere else talking double digit decommitments um that didn't happen uh, we see that happen but it didn't happen uh, with, with notre dame so I, I think that's where i was most impressed early with marcus freeman so i'm least surprised that he's able to maintain beyond and obviously you know close pretty darn well on, on top of it Look, the response, and Malik, we talked about this, and, and John, I was amazed at the response from the commits in the class after the Marshall loss. I remember vividly the three wide receivers after the Marshall loss coming together and tweeting out, just wait until we get there next year. Like, it didn't even phase them. It, like, it emboldened them even more. Like, that's not going to happen. When we show up next year, there's a special attitude that exists in this 23 class. So I, I get, man, I don't know what Marcus Freeman is selling besides Notre Dame. That was that was kind of the mortar to the brick in this class to keep it together, even through tough times and things that would try to be the battering ram to knock that wall down. But whatever he was using, it was strong enough to keep this class in place. And like you said, to keep it on the cusp. Of what being a top three class at its peak, and that's of course with the big elephant in the room that we can talk about as we move a forward. A top three class coming off of an eight and four season. You you know what? Yes, that that's impressive. That, that's absolutely impressive. As we move forward, Lucky Lefty Podcast National Signing Day Preview. Sean Davis, Malik Zaire, and our guy, our cohort, our brother. He's co-hosting with us tonight, John Garcia Jr., host of the State of Recruiting, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CFB Nation, in conjunction with Irish Breakdown. We cover college football better than anybody else. And as we say every day, you already know, we spin it different. So let's go ahead and talk about the elephant in the room. Have you... There's always been National Signing Day drama every year around certain recruits, certain guys. And we're going to get to the national recruits and your top 99, John, that might go beyond National Signing Day and carry their recruiting on into next week or maybe even a little further. But Peyton Bowen is the anchor for a lot of people when they look or the linchpin when they look at this class and where it will ultimately end up ranked in the final rankings the back and forth oregon jumping in oklahoma trying to pull them away and get them to decommit over the last pretty much last two to three months notre dame having them since early this year what do you think ultimately for a kid like this this has to be a rough night to try and get some sleep. <laughs> I would not want to be Peyton Bourne tonight trying to go to bed and get some sleep. It's almost like being a kid going to sleep on Christmas Eve, waiting for Santa to come and wake up and play on Christmas morning. It, it has to be a tough position for the young man from dead yeah, guy to be it's in. That same, it's the same position you in on Christmas Day when you you can't decide if you want to open the small package first mm. or the big package that you try to shake it to be like, is, is it going to be a, what I want at first or should <laughs> I go to the small one? It might be something in there that I might, might be, be liking better. a lot too. So mm. it might be better. I see and what I you're doing. I see what you're doing. Show, 
So he he took the he took the big gift home, and then he started getting these little gifts that, that had a little jingle in them, felt felt a little heavy to him. So it became enticing that maybe this can be a more value than my big present over here that I got that I've been wanting and circled on the catalog all year long, and then it finally got here. But this under the tree, these these two little packages with my name on it is kind of kind of lofty. You know, it might be a little chain or something. It might be something I might, I might, you know, find a lot more enjoyment in. So I think it's hard when you're in a position like that because there's so many different gifts getting thrown at you. And I think for him to just take his gift and just open it and be happy with it, the good thing is, is he going to have to open one of them things tomorrow. And I feel good that uh, he's held on to his, his big gift for, for a long time. I think he'll be, everybody will be excited if he opens that one first. Yeah, I think that part is really fascinating here because there's a sense of, first of all, if you're recruiting someone to Notre Dame, this is someone you assume is going to be someone mature, well put together, someone who can handle themselves in a certain way, uh, especially compared to other schools, right? It just is what it is. So in that respect, if A, it wasn't this close, or B, a flip or defection was a foregone conclusion you would have expected by now, especially eight o'clock the night before signing day, you would have expected a courtesy decommitment phone call, something to say, Hey, I need to take a step back. You're not out of it at a minimum. You're not out of it, but let me take the step back and, and, and cover this back end of it respectfully. So the fact that that hasn't happened and we've seen it happen late across the country, right? Caden Proctor today, Flip from Iowa to Alabama, Dante Moore, Monday, flip from Oregon to UCLA. Even in the hard decisions, you try to give some kind of cushion. That cushion's not coming from Peyton Bowen. And I think that is very telling when you start to put it in the context of what you expect from a Notre Dame recruit. And I talked to Peyton a bunch. I mean, this is a very smart, calculated kid. Overwhelmed, but smart and, and calculated at this point. So I would be surprised with that information for him to just wake up and say, you know what, I'm going here, boom, out of nowhere. I don't think the Notre Dame coaches or the AM coaches or the Oklahoma coaches or the Oregon coaches are going to find out when we do, not with a kid like this. So those decisions appear to still be ongoing, and I think that part of the process is good news for Notre Dame because if this was as done as – two or three days ago tried to tell us, I think we would have seen the move around that point. It's natural over the visit weekend. It's not a dead period yet. It's just easier to navigate if you do it that way. We haven't seen Peyton do that. So I think it, it is A, still very much coming down to the wire, and B, I think the ball and the benefit of the doubt is, is, is still with Notre Dame at this point. Yeah, and after hearing his own high school coach, you know, was interviewed by the Oklahoma site, I believe, on 24-7, and for him to come out today and say, look, I thought it was Oregon last week for sure. And then, you know, he cancels the trip that he was supposed to take official trip to Oklahoma and cancels the in home that he was supposed to have with Oregon or a trip he was supposed to take, I believe, out to Oregon. And he was like, now I think he's going to end up sticking with what he wanted to do all along. You know, he says, and I, I'm still not sure that that's what he's going to do. It has really been one of the most dramatic recruitings that Notre Dame fans have been a part of, you know, 
uh, recruitments like Lorenzo Booker, who eventually ended up at Florida State. Notre Dame fans know the heartbreak of that recruitment. Um, for me, I agree with you, John. There's something to be said for nothing to have been done right now along the lines of a decommitment when it comes to Peyton Bowen. And that's not to ensure that he's going to be in the class by any means. But it's, it's gut-wrenching. This is obviously gut-wrenching, right? Because, look, NIL has a space in recruiting. It is what it is. But I will say this. If indeed Peyton Bowen does sign on with this 23 class for Notre Dame, it's going to reverberate nationally. Because all Notre Dame needed was one. All they needed was one win. Yeah, they lost Keon Keeley. They lost Dante Moore. And the narrative was going to be, even if they had held on to all of their other guys, if they had lost the three top guys that they had originally, the narrative was going to be the same, John. And you know, that was going to, the narrative was going to continue. Notre Dame can't get the big elite guys to come to South Bend. All they need is one in this class to speak to the 24 class and to the 25 class. That one is going to mean a lot. So the way that they are fighting for Peyton Bowen as a staff and the way that the recruits are fighting for him, it lets you know how important he is not only to the 23 class, but to the message and the foundation that Marcus Freeman is trying to build in the classes to come and in the Notre Dame football program. I think the player for Notre Dame that you're referring to is a Kyle Hamilton. I'm sure Peyton Bowen got a, a good glimpse of what Kyle was able to do at Notre Dame, saw himself in that same type of position, and is, is pretty secure on knowing that if I go to Notre Dame, Kyle Hamilton and my track could be very similar. And I think that's, like you said, all you need is a one guy that can change the, the mood of three classes, a five-star or a top-rated guy that can really change the minds of, of the narrative. Like the narrative right now is, is high-flying. We had a high energy support from Marcus Freeman, his recruiting efforts, and a Peyton Bowen would be the icing on the cake for a class that lost some people, uh, lost some people that we, you know, that we probably wouldn't have ever thought that we would have gotten in the first place. But to close out on something that's pretty special, too, for a first year uh, in the recruiting cycle type of head coach, I think just means a lot. Committed January 1st, New Year's Day, remember, 2022. That's a long time, 11-plus months verbally committed to, to ND. So it'd be a lot. It'd be a lot to go back on. But I, I like those points. It, it takes one kid. And the point of the other recruits helping and, and being along for that part of it, think about the recruits in this Notre Dame class. You've been through all emotions uh, of the recruiting spectrum, right? Yeah. Silent commit doesn't work out. Um, Big-time DN. You lose him. He flips to Bama pretty much, pretty much a flip. And then now you're on the other side of it. You flipped a pit quarterback commitment in Kenny Minchie, right? So yeah. you, these recruits have experienced kind of all the levels of, of a modern recruiting class. Uh, so the Jagasaws, the Drake Bowens, Great House, and, and those guys, they've all seen every side of this thing. So it's almost like their their experience as as peer recruiters has has gone through the ringer in and of itself. 
Um, we've all heard the stories of, of, of them getting on each other about other visits and all that kind of stuff. So imagine what, what their element their their impact on, on Bowen could potentially be, you know, that's kind of a sleeper. We talk so there's so much of a narrative around other people, other young people around Bowen and how that could pull them to Oklahoma or, or Oregon or whatever else. But the commits to Notre Dame, I think, can push back on that uh, in a pretty strong way. So I think that's part of the conversation, too. So I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, they went on the offensive. It was almost like a joint offensive at the same time that Marcus Freeman was approaching for his in-home. Here came the 23 recruits on social media. And it was an all-out offensive from both sides. And it's personal. And you know, it, like, for them, it is we, personal. You're right. We're not, been a, we're not a school that you just commit to as a high-flying recruit, and then you just dip on us at the last. No, we're going to fight for you. You know, if you come in, we're definitely going to put up a fight for you, and we're definitely showing it with just the outpour of how much we are showing that we need a guy. We need a guy. And it's it's, it's good to show that the 24 class will do it for y'all, 25 will do it for y'all. Yo, he should definitely feel wanted at Notre Dame. After the past three or four days, Lucky Lefty Podcast, State of Recruiting crossover right here, National Signing Day preview, all of our great content, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CFB Nation in conjunction with Irish Breakdown. We cover college football unlike anyone else. Let's go nationally. Flip season is in full effect for the quarterback position. I Look, I don't know what's going on. You know, in the comfort I you would think your quarterback has to feel comfortable knowing that he's the face of any recruiting class. And for these quarterbacks to be flipping this late, even in the 24 class, I was shocked to see uh, Rayola dip out on Ohio State. Like, yo, where'd that come from? It's like, <laughs> is Matt Rule making inroads? You know, getting the job in Nebraska? Is it someone else that really is chiming in? Was it NIL? Like, what do you think, you know, John, I want you to really tap on this first. What's the issue here, right? Because I guess with Dante, it was Dillingham leaving the Oregon program, going to Arizona State was the main reason. I, honestly, I like, the, I like the combination of him with Chip Kelly better than him with Dillingham anyway. I'm very intrigued with him being at UCLA. I do too. I think it's, it is a better schematic fit. Um, and there's a, a, a quicker path, I think, to, to seeing the field at UCLA, right? DTR's five years are, are done, finally. It's finally to some. Uh, so, yeah, that's what you say, finally? <laughs> to some. I said finally to some, not to all. He got uh, better over time, though. You know? He definitely did. No, he, he did. And I think that – you talk about a big reason. That's a big reason. There was there was a stigma about two, two years ago around Chip Kelly that he was kind of done, right? He was kind mm-hmm. of like – the Oregon flame had died out in college. Obviously, the NFL jump was rough on him, to say the least. So there was this kind of perception that he's done and UCLA was about to move on. And, and then in the last 18 months or so, there, that progression with DTR in particular, it was like they they ascended at the same time uh, and had a great uh, 2022 uh, from, from that perspective. And I thought Chip adapted to DTR as much as DTR adapted to chip and that's not something that chip has really been known for so that then you then you grab dante Moore, you know a few months later and it's like okay that maybe there's some regalvanization going down in 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 ucla um but yeah i i think we see so much quarterback turnover sean because the circumstances change so quickly now in, in college football recruiting 
it used to kind of just be the carousel or the carousel spinning. And then a couple kids changed their minds. I did some math this morning because I was I was curious. 16 power five schools today have commitments from quarterbacks that were previously committed to at least one other school just in this 2023 cycle. So you're talking, you know, 20 percent of the power five has had to flip, for lack of a better phrase, had to flip a quarterback or had suffered a flip from someone else and had to go find another guy. So I think that's a huge number. It's only going to go up. Like you said, it's already happening in 2024. We've already seen quarterbacks decommit. Those dominoes are already falling. So this is this is the position of power in the sport. So naturally, everything falls off its sides at the very top. So when you talk NIL, when you talk about the portals influence, all that stuff factors into to high school recruiting. And then the conference shift, too. I think that's that was the sleeper reason for the, that I thought Dante was, you know, picking one over the other for. Um, that move into the Big Ten for UCLA mm. uh, was kind of a sneaky big deal in, in that regard because now the kid that everyone thought a few months ago was going to stay in the Midwest and Big Ten country, if you will, now he's going to get to play a bunch of games there anyway. So yeah. I thought that was a sneaky <laughs> little little it's icing on the top of, of that decision for sure. Yo, we talked about this. Can you imagine what it's like to be able to cover – Dante versus Malachi for the next three years. <laughs> that's that's going to be absolutely amazing football theater in Los Angeles once Caleb Williams goes to the NFL. It's like it's setting up to be great football, but it's going to be experienced in the Big Ten, like you said. <laughs> that's the crazy thing about so it. Weird, so weird. So. How many quarterbacks do you think are still thinking about whether or not they're going to stay in their prospective class on a night like this, going through the same thing Peyton Bourne is going through? Yeah, that, that's the other side of it. There's still a couple that we're checking in on. Um, I know the moment Dante bailed on Oregon, um, Oregon folks started asking, hey, what about Jaden Rashada, right? West Coast kid, ties to Oregon initially initially in this class a very frequent visitor up there uh before the senior season began but he flipped of course from miami to florida so he's already flipped once um but then like minutes later i was told you know austin novasaw the baylor commit that notre dame was in on in the summer he's kind of the guy that they're zeroed in on up up in oregon of course the new oc there is a texas guy from that area will stein um he actually recruited austin to UTSA when he was there. I think that was that was his second offer after yeah. Baylor offered him. So that's the direction they're going. Uh, I was DMing a little bit with Austin today. Uh, he gave me the SMH emoji, like his, his hand on the head, like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, it's a lot. It's a lot at the last minute here to try to think about what Baylor and Austin together have withstood, just like we talked about with Peyton Bowen. They withstood Notre Dame, Ohio State, Texas A&M in-state. And now here comes Oregon at the last minute. And let's let's also acknowledge that Oregon knows it's the last minute, so you know behind the scenes what that means. Increase the efforts, if, if you understand that. Now they've got that on the table, and, and Baylor's got to hold on one more time. So that will be fascinating. Legit, the night before signing day, Austin Ovisad doesn't know. 
Uh, and, and that's that's big news. So that's definitely one I'm tracking. And then one that is not as it's not going to be as talked about, but it, it probably should be is Lenora Sellers. This is a kid out of South Carolina who was really two years ago looked at as one of these top early names in 2023, right? As Dante Moore and Malachi Nelson, all these guys were emerging, of course, Arch too. So was he in, in South Carolina, but then he got hurt. So he got hurt. And he jumped on board with, with a commitment early to Virginia, right when that coaching staff was about to get fired. Of course, that was a big surprise last year. Um, and he got hurt, so he missed a bunch of time in his junior year. And as Malik will tell you, that's, that is the year for the it's quarterback the position. So everyone kind of forgets about him. He's not playing. Um, and one of the Virginia coaches goes up to Syracuse and, and continues to recruit him, so he ends up committing to Syracuse. Well, now – He's back. He's healthy, and he has had an unbelievable senior season. 60 touchdowns, state championship, Shrine Bowl MVP, dual threat. The knee looks good. Everything looks good. And now South Carolina is trying to keep him in state desperately. They don't have a quarterback committed in this class of 23. Uh, Georgia Tech just offered him like two hours ago. I mean, people are swinging late uh, for Lenora Sellers. Um, and, and who would have thought we'd be talking about a Syracuse versus South Carolina recruiting battle as a big one, but it is. It's it's one of the biggest late quarterback battles uh, that, that's out there. So between him and, and Novosad in particular, does anyone wake up tomorrow and say, hey, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I might need more time. And how does that change kind of the narrative there? So I think, I think at least one of them flips. I, if I had to guess, I'd say sellers, but it's close on both fronts. They're both really close, really loyal to the schools that they've been on board with. Um, Novosad has been committed to Baylor for like a year, and uh, Sellers has been committed to Syracuse since, uh, I think, March, so like eight, nine months. So it's a lot to pull these kids off of these commitments, especially when they're the face of their recruiting class. But that's the 23 cycle. It's it's not over un until that, that letter is signed. So we'll see if first they, they come to a decision, and second, if they actually sign and come off the board tomorrow. We'll wait and see if Kirby Smart can kind of seal the deal with back-to-back -back national championships on the narrative that Nick Saban was losing his grip on college football and Georgia was becoming the program in college football. Alabama's kind of punching back from a recruiting standpoint. Like the class, the two running backs, Keon Keeley, Flip and Kate Proctor, they know how to get it late. I don't know. What do they do late? It's every time, right at the last second, they just get bang, back to back to back to back, big time commits, five-star guys, like guys that be taking all year to recruit. And they <laughs> snatch them up in that last couple days. How? What do they do? Are they dropping major dude, bags? It's like, dude, somebody that made Pert Darling Nikki bad, mad down there. <laughs> yeah, they got Tuscaloosa. The outside linebacker, uh, Caleb Downs, all at the same. Dude, right. What? Yeah, that, that's, um, that's its own narrative there. Yeah, I think once once Proctor jumped in today, that, that was kind of it for the number one class to me. Yeah, that's yeah. It. I, I think – any hope that the, the rest of the crew had was if they stumbled. And before they even got to their in-state guys that are on the board to, to commit tomorrow, which are probably going there anyway, Proctor goes ahead and, and gets it done uh, publicly the day before signing day. So, yeah, Bama finished crazy strong, two-quarterback class, um, loaded group, full of guys, at number one at their position or close. 
everywhere in this class. As you mentioned, Justice Haynes, Caleb Downs. It's Caleb Downs and Bowen, for me, best safeties in, in, in the class. Yeah. And you could make Caleb an argument. Caleb Downs is bigger, though, right? Yeah. He's a bigger guy. He's a bigger kid. And I think Caleb Downs, man, has – John, I don't know. What impressed me the most is this kid has played wide receiver. This kid has played defensive back, safety. He's played wildcat quarterback in key situations. You talk about someone that's just a football player, that's Caleb Downs, man. Yeah, he. I think, yeah, Bowen's athletic traits and frame push push Caleb uh, down, to, to no pun intended, but it's the other package, the instincts, the athleticism, mm-hmm. just kind of the, the headiness uh, that Downs plays with um, that is just hard to beat. It's just easy to see, you know, a, a little bit. He's not as freaky athletically as Minka Fitzpatrick, but that's kind of the box – I want to put him in just in terms of Minka would have been a five-star corner or safety on, on his own because he was that good. I think intellectually Caleb Downs is in that conversation because he could do it again, not as naturally gifted, but everything else is, is there. You could, you could put him at nickel. You could put him at deep safety. You could probably put him at, at a boundary corner. If you have to in a pinch, I think he's, he's that impressive. And that's why, Georgia, Ohio State, Notre Dame. A lot of folks were really trying to stay in this in, in this recruitment for a long time, but um, he's going to play early. He's going to play real early at Bama, but that class is is really strong. Uh, Proctor sealed the deal for number one, and they'll probably add you know two or three more guys tomorrow because yeah. that's just kind of what they do. It's it's like the joke is down there. Like if Bama doesn't win the national title, they'll win the recruiting title. Like they're not going to lose both titles in the same no, year. No. They're going to they're grab one of them. So <laughs> it, it almost like it re it re-energizes Nick or something. It, it's it's really fascinating because it just keeps happening yeah. every time we think, is this it? The answer is is often no. Um, so that will be uh, it's interesting. Often no. Yeah, it's always no, right? Yeah. It's always no. Yeah. Twenty four commits. <laughs> nine of those commits are in your top ninety nine. Definitely a shoe-in for the number one class as they currently sit, probably looking to add a couple of more guys to the class on tomorrow. So what about their quarterback situation, though? Because you've seen the heir apparent. The heir apparent has been obvious for the past six to seven years at Alabama. It's a big question now for Nick Saban because he's been able to rest on knowing who their next quarterback is going to be the two quarterbacks that they have, what's your thoughts on the two quarterbacks they have in the class? You go, Malika, that's for me. <laughs> you can go ahead, John. Yeah, you go. yeah th- this is a, an interesting group. So they've got Dylan Lonergan and Eli Holstein, a uh, couple of dual threats, a uh, couple of, of, of Southerners, Holstein from, from Louisiana. They flipped him from A&M. Uh, and then Lonergan's from Georgia, great baseball player. He's like supposedly like borderline getting drafted type of baseball player, throws 90 miles an hour. So that one's interesting. Doesn't get a lot of quarterbacking pub because of the baseball pub. So that could be a boomer bust recruitment. So you understand why, why Bama took two quarterbacks. But then the two guys behind Bryce Young, yeah, we, we've seen some of each, and, and neither guy has, has taken that reign as the clear heir apparent. It's a very good way to put it. Jalen Milrow is, I mean, looks like an NBA player out there. 6'5", 220, yeah. uh, long arms, incredibly fast, huge arm. It's just like hone it all in. If he can hone it all in, I think this will be 
an adjustment back to kind of that Jalen Hurts, Blake Sims, Bama years where they're able to use the quarterback as a runner, and it's really hard to defend at that point. Ty Simpson, good athlete in his own right, coach's kid, um, more conventional in terms of his uh, his pocket passing ability, but but less experience and younger. So, yeah, could could they hit the portal? Uh, could they? Are they ready to to put their chips all in on on one of these other guys? Um, I, I think preseason, everyone there would have told you, oh, it's going to be Jalen Milrow. Like it's it's not even close. He's going to be the next guy. But once Milrow got that start, I think it was against AM and got a little bit of playing time, there was some good and there was some bad. And and that bad, it kind of sticks with you a little bit. So uh, he'll have an opportunity to be the guy, and I think he'll have the most opportunities to be the guy. But, again, we talk about you know Nick Saban at the top. He's not going to just limp into it like that. Um, he wants to create as much competition as possible. So I do think – uh, if it's not one of these freshmen, they'll they'll hit the portal to bring in at least someone to push Milrow uh, to see if he indeed is is that heir apparent. Well, I think one of his pushes has come to the light with Pat Narduzzi going all snitch today on radio, you know, <laughs> talking about the two schools that offer big money for Drake May. And a former yeah. Alabama commit, Drake May. Exactly. Exactly. So I think we probably know one of those schools that stepped out and asked Drake to go ahead and leave North Carolina. But uh, kudos to the young man for deciding to stay. I mean, he's pretty much assured to be a top three pick in the NFL. I don't care if he played at San, San Jose State next year. The kid is going high in the draft as long as he's healthy. So he doesn't need – at this point, he doesn't need Alabama – or any other program to be able to go and do what he wants to do beyond college football. So I actually tip my cap to uh, Drake May and the decision he made to stay in North Carolina. And speaking of the transfer portal, what in the world is Coach Dykes and TCU doing in the transfer portal? They are like crazy. They are putting on a crazy performance right now. It's absolutely insane. Did it shock you? John, the CTCU making the moves that they're making right now. Of course, because you – everything TCU's done this year has shocked me, <laughs> right? Like this was this was supposed to be, you know, a, a good roster that had some offensive potential, but, you know, you know it's Big, 12, Big 12 wide open. Where does TCU fit in? It's supposed to be a 7-5, and 8-4 and four kind of deal. And and they just they've found a way with 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 a roster that wasn't so portal created either. It was more about they held on to guys because everyone else was coming to get Zach Evans and coming to get these other players that TCU had in the portal. So that in and of itself is kind of amazing. And then yeah, you're you're gonna get some positive repercussions when you you push that into a playoff berth. And and in the portal, we are seeing that uh, in in a very big way. Uh, they've gotten a couple Alabama guys. I saw uh, Jack Bash from LSU is headed to TCU, um, which is interesting now because they're also in a quarterback question mark situation going forward, right? Because Dugan just declared, I think, yesterday. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking he could maybe come back unless they want it all. Then then you definitely leave. Um, I guess I'm giving it away that I don't expect them to win it all. Um but I thought he could potentially come back for next year, but he is not. So I'm curious to see how that situation plays out. But 
other players are not curious about that situation. They're giving Sonny Dykes the benefit of the doubt. And based on this year and, and that quick turnaround, I, I guess I don't blame them. But I am still shocked because there's some big names going to going to Fort Worth for sure. And it seems like they're in on Hudson Card as well, possibly in the transfer portal. You know, that, that would if, work. In that, that, that would definitely work. And you have to tip your cap, man, because TCU – Coach Dykes, what he's been able to do with that program, shocking everyone, getting into the college football playoff, and now supplementing that with putting in the work they are with the transfer portal as they prepare for the semifinals. It's so many ways to build a program now, and you have to rightly divide like what's best for you. And they made the choice. We're not going to hop into the top 10 of recruiting immediately. Maybe we can do that two to three years down the line once we win. But right now we're going to have to go ahead and win this transfer portal. And they've done a great job using their season as kind of like a trampoline to success in the transfer portal. Moving forward, how impactful has this transfer portal been in relation to the flips that we have seen in the month of December nationally? That's a great question. Um, we're starting to see the impacts. Obviously, quarterback is the easiest place to go uh, with that. Um, I, I think, you know, a lot of these a lot of these schools are trying to navigate it the right way. Because signing day is tomorrow, right? So you can make it official tomorrow with your quarterback. So the schools that have already taken quarterbacks, a lot of them, I've noticed, don't have a quarterback committed or a high-profile true quarterback committed in 23. So they weren't worried about that part of the process. You just take the portal QB and you're good. The schools that are that we know are very much looking for a quarterback in the portal, a lot of them haven't gotten that commitment just yet. Uh, and they do have quarterbacks verbally committed. So I do think there's a little bit of gamesmanship going on there. Um, and th- and th- that's a, a direct impact of, of the portal. And some of the big names in the portal, uh, Devin Leary obviously came off the board. Uh, to Kentucky today, which was you know, a bit surprising to some. Uh, I know he visited Auburn, and, and there was uh, talks of him making more trips because it was going a little slower than he thought. And then he just committed the next day to TC or to Kentucky. So uh, that one was interesting. But a lot of those schools, uh, you know, Kate McNamara to Iowa, um, Phil Jerkovic to Pitt. A lot of these schools didn't have that banner twenty three QB on board. So it's going to be interesting to see beyond signing day when those kids are locked in and it's official, how many of those QB dominoes start to fall very quickly because now those coaching staffs can be all in with with these portal players. So Florida, Notre Dame is one of those. Maybe does Bama or Georgia take a look? I mean, those are some some interesting QB dynamics to look at because we know those guys are always have have their head on a swivel because every single coaching staff is trying to upgrade their QB room now, 12 months a year. It used to be a one at a time kind of thing. Now it's like it's year to year. You got to recruit that that position, that room. You have to almost update your board every single year because it can change that quickly. So uh, I think that's going to be a fascinating thing to track after tomorrow. How many of these portal guys come off the board? So I think both groups impact each other. You know what? As we stay right there talking to John Garcia, my guy left is in the building down at the bottom. Sean Davis, National Signing Day preview right here. Lucky Lefty podcast. 
John, I don't know if you saw something happen major, in my opinion, on Saturday. Because I don't know if you had the opportunity to watch any of the Celebration Bowl. I came away with one thought after watching that game. I don't ever want to watch a talent like Travis Hunter on the FCS level ever again. <laughs> ever. Ever. No, 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 ever. Like, forget Deion Sanders. I don't. That we just had this talent wasted. We could not appreciate that talent, that level of talent on the big stage on a Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening for a year. Now, I understand why he made the decision. I'm not mad at him. Prime, he is who he is. But for me, I don't, if I never see another five star. Go to the FCS level. I'll be happy. Because the show he put on on both sides of the ball on Saturday, I'm like, I need that in the SEC. I need that in the Big Ten. I need that in the ACC on a weekly basis in the fall at 3.30 or 6.30. That's, that's all I need. For us to miss out on that for a year, it was like, man, this is a shame. But what do you think about him coming out and saying, I'm open. I'm not just going to follow Prime. To Colorado like everyone thinks and then of course you see Kirby Smarts right there of course the Georgia kid like are you, can you imagine Kirby getting his hands on that dude and that talent there was a time last year when we thought that could happen on signing day um you know he took two visits to Georgia I think late in the in the season like cold weather visits to Georgia and it was it was it was after Jackson State he visited Jackson State like in October and then I think it was two November trips to Georgia. So a lot of people were like, if he flips, it'll be to Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it didn't happen that way. But, yeah, Kirby, Kirby's kirby been on this case for a while. He doesn't miss many Atlanta area guys, especially. So, yeah, that that would be something scary. I think Kirby would would throw him at corner and he'd be he'd be their next guy immediately, just just immediately. But that's the thing. So two two things here for me. One. It's good business for Travis to come out and be the one to say, I am open, as opposed to someone else saying he is open. Mm-hmm. That's great business. And if if there's one thing Travis Hunter learned besides playing two you know, both ways at Jackson State, I'm sure under Prime it was good business. Hey, yeah. this is how you operate. This is about this is leverage, right? Dion was doing it before we were talking about leverage, right? In the 80s. <laughs> so this is this is good business for Travis Hunter to be the one to say that. And then secondly, I think the position thing is a big deal here because you're not going to go play both ways at Georgia or Miami or USC or wherever else he's looking, Colorado, obviously, or maybe at Colorado. You're not going to play both ways anywhere else. So I think there's a little bit of reconnaissance going down, you know, because now these kids can have a team around them to figure out I mean, we're seeing. I'm seeing mock drafts for next year's draft and two years from now's draft, right? Uh, Drake Bay versus Caleb Williams in the 24 draft. I, I saw that article yesterday. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> these guys. I mean, they got a long way to go. Um, so that is never going to go in the other direction. So I think being open at least time wise for a week, two, three weeks, allows those people to give him more feedback on, hey, this is the position you need to play. Because he is so talented, and you you alluded to this, Sean. He is so talented that if he sticks to either one, 
in this day and age of being a, a six foot receiver, you can absolutely be that alpha. Look at look at the Justin Jefferson type. Or if you're a long, rangy corner with ball skills, my goodness, can you be coveted? You know, he, he could be J.C. Horn or Justin Jefferson. Is there a wrong answer there? I'm not sure. But I think affording yourself a couple weeks of time can get you that clarity. And then if you say, now I'm a corner or now I'm a receiver, it changes the schools that you're you're interested in from a business perspective, right? Yeah. If I'm a corner, calling Kirby Smart right now. I'm probably playing SEC ball. If I'm a receiver, uh, Caleb Williams, SC. Heisman winner. Hello, but Lincoln Riley would let him play both sides. I think if he goes to SC, maybe and maybe that's the pitch that <clears> will <throat> win. Maybe he wants to hear it from Lincoln Riley, who wasn't involved in his recruitment. Maybe he wants to hear it from Mario Cristobal, who wasn't involved in his recruitment. Because let's be honest, NIL is going to be a part of this thing too. Facts. Oh, so yeah. oh okay. Yeah. Let's yeah, not yeah. let's not pretend. You know in that regard. So I just think it's a smart decision all around for Travis to wait. Even if he knows right now, I'm 99.999% sure it's Colorado. Just give it some time, get that feedback um, and get, maybe gain more leverage with a school that you, you wouldn't have otherwise uh, considered. Uh, although we do hear he is limiting the schools that are involved. So it's not going to be a free for all, but I think there's a lot, of good that can happen from just waiting a little bit because the the roster spot for him everyone else is it's expiring that offer is expiring it's not expiring for travis hunter at any school at either position the crazy thing is i came away from the celebration bowl saying yo he's more natural at wide receiver than me <laughs> the catches he made on saturday dude jumping up snagging balls one-handed Jumping up, snagging balls, two hands. The last play, which was just, he didn't just get one foot down. He NFL'd it. He got two feet in on the last play to tie the game up and send it to overtime. Yeah. I need to see Travis. I need to see Travis Hunter in a big game on a Saturday afternoon. We need that. Lucky Lefty Podcast. Now we move forward. Let's go ahead and talk about the other subject from that game. Prime goes out. Staff is pretty impressive at Colorado. Cunningham, Dylan Edwards has his quarterback in Shador, which I came away from that game saying, you know, Shador is going to be okay in the Pac-12. Doesn't have to be spectacular, but he's better than any quarterback they've had at Colorado in the last three or four years. I, I feel comfortable saying that. So the impact of Prime. Is it going to be felt more next year than this year, in your opinion, on the recruiting trail? On the on the traditional recruiting trail, yes. In the portal, no. I think the, the time to strike is now. Um, there's there's so many talented players in the portal. I think the number, the FBS number is like almost two thousand players in there. Mm -hmm. um, that's just FBS. So FCS is probably another thousand plus, so on and, and so forth. I think from the portal perspective, Dion's got to hit it now uh, before some of these other schools are still got, got guys wavering, right, on NFL, on their own portal entries. So before some of those schools take advantage, I think he's got to hit it in the portal. But in, in traditional recruiting, it's the opposite. He only had two visit weekends to get kids to Colorado. Imagine what Dion's going to do with spring official visits. And summer official visits too. By the way, I haven't heard anyone talk about this. 
to beautiful Boulder, Colorado. It is like you talk about selling something kids never seen. I'm from Miami. Take me, show me mountains and snow and a landscape. You know, like what is this? Are we in another country? You know, that something like that will sell. Like you, you, you guys hear it all the time. Kids from big cities, they want to see something different, yeah, especially yeah. while they're being recruited. So Colorado's going to have a hard time narrowing their official visits down to what's the number 56, right. narrowing it down to 56. Cause I think they're going to take a bunch of kids in the spring. So from a high school perspective, I think the 24 class will, will be where Dion gets to flex even more because kids will actually have been able to get up to Boulder and, and, and take an official visit. Cause it's not a great destination for unofficial visits. Uh, you know, that that's not close to much, especially with where Dion wants to recruit uh, outside of the state of California. If you want to get into Texas and Atlanta and Miami and the Carolinas and the places where he has ties, kind of hard to get to Boulder, Colorado. So I'm curious to see how he could do it when he has those official visits uh, in his back pocket. How did the news of the new president of the NCAA that will take new take office in early 2023 how did that news reverberate around college football and especially in recruiting and concerning nil is there a thought now that the way things have been may be coming to an end real soon i think it, it could have almost been anybody else who got that that appointed position and there was going to be some relief because that was just kind of the necessary step mm -hmm. to get to change and, and we all know it's coming it's just a matter of how much change, how specifically and how quickly this can and, and will change. Uh, so I, I think it'll be fascinating. And regardless of, of the new president's reputation to this point, he's going to be defined by how he deals with NIL and the portal and those elements, at least from, from the football community, from us. He's going to be defined by this because the NCAA has done a huge disservice in in two ways, it's probably in a million ways, but in two ways in particular, one, how long it took to get to the point where there, there was more player power and fluidity and the ability to make your own choice. But in, in turn, in finally getting to that point, not having it properly laid out thereafter has made it feel like this wide open free agency, NFL, whatever model we want to call it, it has made it feel that way. So they took forever to do it on the front end. And then when they finally did it, it wasn't careful and calculated enough to have, have been done the right way. So that's a lot of pushback that, that the new president's going to have to deal with and try to navigate. So, um, but that's how, that's how it is. That's how it is. He knows that as, as soon as he tried to get that gig, he knew that. Um, I just don't remember a, a governor being, <laughs> in this position. So I'm not as familiar. I'm not a political guy. Um, I, I, I like football cause I don't have to dig into that stuff yeah. for the most part, but I'm curious to see how with, with that part of the process in his, in his resume, how that either accelerates or slows down any progress we'll actually see. Before we let you go, we appreciate John Garcia Jr. for giving us this time tonight. State of recruiting. He is the host of that podcast on CFB nation. Available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Go download it right now. He dropped. He's been dropping jewels all the last four or five days. He dropped another one this morning, and I'm sure he's going to have some more jewels tomorrow. Don't forget, no one covers college football the way we do. 
State of Recruiting, Lucky Lefty Podcast. We spin it different. As you get out of here, John, and blessings to you and happy holidays if we don't talk to you before the holiday. Likewise. What's your everlasting thought about the 2023 recruiting cycle? Wow. Um, it was it was presented to me probably two years ago as this the year of the quarterback, right? Um, and and since that point, it has really been the entirety of the conversation. We're still talking about QB flips on the eve of signing day. That is not a thing from yesteryear. That that's not supposed to happen. Maybe an uncommitted guy coming off the board like a CJ Stroud a couple of years ago, but not not flips. Um, so these decisions these kids have made, it, it's going to be fascinating because um, some of these kids went out on a limb, right? Arch Manning could have went to Bama or Georgia and been good and won a bunch and won a natty and a Heisman, and nobody would have blinked. But he, I think he went out on a limb a little bit going to Texas, bet on himself more than he had to to go to Texas. We just talked about Dante Moore. I mean, you talk about a kid who had different options schematically. Wow. And even going from Oregon to UCLA, big jump, big chance he took. Some of these flips, Rashada going from Miami to Florida, without being that dual threat type that that Anthony Richardson is. How yeah. how did something like that work out? So not only the big names and how they do, but how how their decisions will impact their their careers. Nico Iomaliava didn't have to go across the country from Cali to to Tennessee. The fit he looks amazing. Yeah, yeah. So they paid him on that NIL. He might have to play in that ball game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's a good possibility. But you know, these decisions were unconventional to say the least. You know, outside of you know uh, Malachi Nelson being the LA kid going to USC, there wasn't a whole lot of that in this cycle at that position. So these quarterbacks really s- stepped out on a limb. So I'm curious to see how it works out, and inevitably, how many of them in, end up in the portal. Maybe before the end of 23, how many of them? end up in the portal that's the thing it, it moves that fast so it was it was sold to me about the quarterback position and, and that's where i'm going to take from it going forward uh go, going into signing day and, and into next year once again john garcia jr state of recruiting podcast go right now download leave five stars apple podcast spotify no one covers recruiting like this guy john we appreciate you my brother Happy holidays, and we'll get back at it sometime in January when uh, things kind of settle down and we focus on the 2024 class. Sounds good, fellas. Yeah, Happy holidays to you guys as well. Get some sleep tonight and enjoy tomorrow. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you around. Absolutely. That's John Garcia, Jr. joining us right here on the Lucky Lefty Podcast, National Signing Day Preview. Look, ladies and gentlemen, it is 747. Central Standard Time, 8.47 Eastern Time, which means that Notre Dame has probably just finished up their recruiting Zoom. Hey, yeah. Was a certain person on the Zoom? Well, we'll have to wait and see, man. We'll have to wait and see. The decision comes down tomorrow. And uh, Left, I'm feeling pretty good. I don't know how you're feeling about this class and Certain people staying in the class, but I think this class is going to be, without question, a top five class with a chance to creep up to number three in certain publications. That's right. We're just looking to finish that top three. 
but this class will be one to remember similar to a 2013 class that I was in, uh, one that was a program changer, program starter, and a bunch of draftable guys. Draftable guys is correct. Want to make sure that we get everyone in tune with what we're going to be doing tomorrow. You can jump on with us. Leek, I think you're going to be a guest on our National Sign of Day show over at Irish Breakdown. We'll be on at 10 a.m. Eastern time tomorrow. I believe 10 to 3. We're going to have special guests. Uh, Tom Lemming, Malik Zaire is going to jump on. We're going to have players as they sign jumping on. I know Christian Gray and his mother will be coming on the show along with other players in the class. And then after that, it'll be IB Nation Sports Talk. And right after IB Nation Sports Talk, Lucky Lefty Podcast will be back to wrap it all up and put a nice bow on National Signing Day and the 2023 recruiting class. So tomorrow should be a his man, pretty a pretty historic day. That's right. A pretty historic day when it comes to recruiting at Notre Dame. Left, it's been a long haul, bro. I remember after the uh, Fiesta Bowl, we started talking about how we were going to uh, attack this season and all season and recruiting. Uh, we built a relationship with Carnell Tate, had the young man on our show multiple times. We still chop it up with him. Uh, he put us in his video when he announced his decision to go Ohio State. We made it onto the video. And it's been a long haul. Your conversations with Dante Moore back in January and back in early 2022 and his ultimate, you know, defection from the class and the relationship I've built with guys like Drake Bowen, Christian Gray, Charles Jagasaw. Yo, it's been a fantastic year, a fantastic class to recruit. Even if the guys didn't come to Notre Dame, we have literally met some incredible young men and built some relationships that I'm sure down the line we're going to come across those young men and still laugh and maybe even uh, throw back some Anora and share a couple of stories in some years to come. That's right. Man, yeah, tomorrow's the day. I think we've done a good job leading up to this point to get ready for tomorrow. So, like you said, we're going to put a bow on that thing. Hopefully they put a bow on that number three spot in the 2023 recruiting class, college football. Yo, someone just asked, what's your middle name, bro? Jamal. Is it? Yeah. I would have never guessed that it was Jamal. <laughs> I would have thought it would have been like, no, nah, just Jamal. No, you know what? I'm still black, man, you know. Malik Jamal Zayed. It actually flows, though. Flow, MJZ, man, I'm telling you. MJZ. <laughs> MJZ from Dayton. That's right. Man, so the chat has been wonderful. LL Nation, you guys have been fantastic all year long. Uh, I'm not going to tell you to get some sleep because I know anxiety is right there. You're going to be right checking there. the message, message board all night, early in the morning. Trying to get tidbits. You're probably going to be over on the Oklahoma message board, seeing what they're saying. The yeah, Oregon message board, saying what they're saying, seeing what they're saying. Look, we told you to let it play out. 
Let these things play out. Because this staff is totally different from than previous staffs at this Notre staff Dame. Has fight in them. They have some fight in them. This staff absolutely has some fight in them. And um, when they see foolishness, they just cut bait. That's what I love about them. You know, as long as kids are being honest, they'll rock out. Yeah. When you start talking their foolishness, they're like, yo, don't don't even, don't even worry about it. Have a nice day. Get me out of here. Do your thing. And I, I love that about this class. Well, left. No show for us tomorrow morning. We'll be on IB Nation, shopping it up, and then we'll wrap a ball on all of this recruiting day, national signing day coverage tomorrow night. Lucky Lefty Podcast, 6.30 p.m. Central Time. For left, I'm Sean Davis. Have a fantastic evening. Get some sleep. It's going to be a fantastic national signing day. That's my prediction. That's right. Right here on the Lucky Lefty Podcast where you already know we spin it different. Yeah, yeah.